Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Turn them to Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3. We're going to look at six verses tonight. We're going to be studying this evening the fifth letter in a series of seven letters written by the Lord Jesus through the Apostle John under the seven churches at Asia. Now, I want to tell you again tonight what I've told you before, that we must remember when studying this passage of Scripture that this is not just what Jesus has said, but what he is saying to his church. Amen? This is not just letters written to seven literal churches in John's day, but it also is written to the church today. When he speaks of the seven churches, he's talking about the complete church, um, the church of all time. And so if you're a part of the body of Christ, the message that Jesus preaches to the church at Sardis, he preaches to us tonight through the writings of the Apostle John. Amen? And so we must remember that when we look um, to all of these passages of Scripture. Now let's review just a little bit what we've seen already in these letters to the seven churches. If you remember in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7, we looked at the church at Ephesus. And we said the church at Ephesus was the church that had left their first love. Now if you remember when we were studying that passage... I told you that it is absolutely possible for us to leave our first love, but it's absolutely impossible for us to lose our first love. Can you say amen to that? Now what I mean by that is this. It's impossible for those who've been born again by faith in Jesus into the body of Christ to lose their salvation. It's impossible for us to lose our relationship to God the Father for we were bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. But it is certainly possible for all of us to lose fellowship with the Lord, to leave Him, um, to not be what we're supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't feel as close tonight to Jesus as you once did, you must ask yourself this question, have I left my first love? I think that's important for all of us to ask ourselves. We can certainly leave our first love. We can't lose our first love, but we, we can leave it. And that's what happened to the church at Ephesus. They, it wasn't that they didn't love Jesus. They just didn't love Jesus like they used to love him. Amen. Other things had taken priority in their life besides service unto the Lord. And so he makes very clear to that church and he makes very clear unto us that we should not leave our first love. And if we have, we need to repent and get back to it. See, if we feel far away from the Lord, guess who moved? We did. Each and every one of us. God wants that close fellowship with each and every one of his children. So if, if we don't feel as close as we want to be, it's not God's fault. He hasn't moved. We have. We can leave our first love. So then we looked at the church at Smyrna. It's called the persecuted church for a reason. We called it the rich little poor church. And that's exactly what it was. According to the world standard, it was very, very poor. But according to God's standard, it was rich beyond measure. This is a church who stood for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They stood for what they believed in. Uh, they made their stand and they stood firm. And Jesus praised them for it. 
I'm so thankful for the church at Smyrna. They believed just like the Apostle Paul when it came to the persecution of the saints. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 in verse number 18. He says, for I reckon, uh, I am convinced that the Apostle Paul must have been a southern boy. Amen. He says, for I reckon, he reckons that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that good? What he's telling you is that the persecution that we are going through for the body of, as the body of Christ for the Lord Jesus now is not even worthy to hold up next to what we have coming in the future as the people of God. That's what the church at Smyrna believed. And folks, that's what we've got to hold to as well. Just keep standing for Jesus. It's not always going to be popular. You will be persecuted for your faith. If you walk in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord, the, Lord, the world's not going to like that. But just like these church uh, members at Smyrna, let's just keep standing for what we know to be true. Uh, they made a stand for the Lord Jesus. Then we looked at the church at Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and we said that was the compromising church. Little by little, slowly but surely, this church continued to compromise on what they believed and what they stood for until they came to a place they didn't know what they believed or what they stood for. And I've told you before, I'll tell you again, compromise will always take you further than you want to go. If you give the enemy an inch, he's going to take a mile. You compromise a little, and it is going to affect you greatly. I've said it before, what, when we choose to compromise and do what's unpleasing unto the Lord, when we choose to compromise and go the way of the world system, uh, folks, not only does it affect you, but it infects those around you. It makes a difference in everyone's lives. So we must, we must stand true to what we know to be the truth according to God's word. Stand for what's right. And not be like the church at Pergamos, the compromising church. Then we looked last week at the church at Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And this was a church that had to make a choice. They had to make a choice whether they were going to follow a woman that Jesus called Jezebel or were they going to follow the Lord Jesus himself. And folks, I want you to know, we have to make the same choice in the church today. Who are we going to follow? This woman called Jezebel at the church at Thyatira, uh, she was in error theologically speaking according to her teaching of the things of God and she was in error morally speaking according to the way she lived. She was in leadership in this church and uh, not only is she in leadership but uh, she was in error in all things. And so this uh, church decided not to do anything about what was going on with this woman Jezebel, and, and Jesus was not happy about that at all. We've got to decide who we're going to stand with, who we're going to stand for, the ways of Jezebel or the Lord Jesus himself. Just like that church, we must make a decision. Now tonight, I want to talk to you about Sardis. Sardis, the Bible calls the dead church. Jesus called them the dead church. If I was going to entitle my message this evening, it would be Waking the Dead. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Watch this. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and of the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou, that, that, that thou livest, excuse me, and art dead. Verse 2. Be watchful. 
and strengthen the things which remain. They are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verse 3, remember therefore thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Verse 5, he that overcometh. The same shall be clothed in white raiment and shall not blot out his name out of the book of life. For, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for the truth of your word. Would you make real your word tonight. Lord, I can do absolutely nothing in and of myself. Lord, it's not about me. Lord Jesus, it's all about you this evening and I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, would you have your way and your will in these services? Would you speak to hearts and change lives? Without your power and presence, nothing we do can ever be effective. So Lord, we're asking you that you take complete control of everything that happens here tonight. And Lord, we're going to give you praise, honor, and glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Now, the first thing that we need to notice in Revelation chapter 3, in the very first part of verse number 1, he says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis. It's the same introduction that he uses for every church that we've studied up to this point. And we said the angel is the Greek word messenger. And so the Lord Jesus is speaking to the messenger of the church. Now, do you remember who the messenger of the church is? It's the pastor. So the angel of the church at Sardis is the pastor of the church. That's who he addresses the letter to. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now, if you remember when we looked at the church at Ephesus, I believe it was, we talked about what it means when the Bible refers to the seven spirits of God. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, brother, what do you mean? Is there seven Holy Spirits? No, there's only one Holy Spirit. Just like there's one God the Father and there's one God the Son, there's one God the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? He is a he, not an it. He's a person that's at work in his church. But when it says the seven spirits of God, it's not talking about seven in number. It's not talking about seven in quantity. It's talking about quality. Can you say amen to that? Listen, he's talking about the fullness of the spirit here. The word, the number seven is not just a number in which we count things, but it's symbolic uh, of of uh, completeness of perf uh, of of of, of uh, and that's what he means of the, of the Holy Spirit here. It's the complete fullness of what the Holy Spirit does. If you go back and look in Isaiah chapter number eleven, verses one through two, you're going to see the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we know in Revelation three and one, when it talks about the seven spirits of God, it's talking about the fullness of the Spirit. Then he says something else, and of the seven stars. And again, the seven stars are the seven angels according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 20. Somebody said it just keeps getting worse and worse. One time he calls um, the, the pastor an angel, the next time he calls the pastor a star. I don't know uh, how we got it. Somebody would have said that, but that's what they said. Now then, look, look at the next of this. I want you to see in verse number 1 something very, very important. Four points that I want to make to you tonight concerning the church at Sardis. First of all, I want you to notice the charge against the church. And it's a very serious charge. If, if you remember, 
in every one of the churches that we've studied up to this point, the first thing Jesus does, he says it like this. He goes out of his way to praise the church for the things they're doing well. Do you remember that? And everyone that we've studied up, up to this point, he looks at things that he's pleased with and he praises the church for it. But in this church, he does something different. And all the ones before it, he praises, then he talks about their problems. But when it comes to this church, first he talks about the problems and then he somewhat praises. Now, I'm going to say, I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is they have got a very, very serious problem. I mean a problem that must be dealt with. Now listen to what it is. He says the first part of it and the last part of verse number one. He says, thou has a name that thou livest. Now what's that mean? Well, that means this church had a good reputation among the people. This church was a very popular church there in Sardis. I mean, if you would have walked up as a visitor to the city of Sardis and you'd have said to someone on the street corner, um, do you know anything about the church at Sardis? They said, oh, you mean the first church of Sardis. Absolutely, I know a lot about, I mean, that's a going church around here. That's a church who's really getting things done around here. Uh, that They would have had folks, a, a professional in the pulpit and pious people sitting in the pews. I mean, that was the church at Sardis. This church had a good reputation. This church was very popular from the people looking from the outside in. Now let me tell you something. We saw last week when studying about Thyatira that Jesus is the one who has the eyes like a flame of fire. And through his eyes that penetrate, he's not just the one who looks from the outside in, he's for the one who looks from the inside out. I mean, you know, it's one thing to look from the outside in and see uh, something good, but Jesus looks from the inside. He really knows what's going on in his church. Jesus looks deeper than any man can look, and that's what he's doing here with the church at Sardis. It was a very serious problem because they had a good reputation among the people, but Jesus knew really where their heart was. Now, I'm reminded of what William Shakespeare said. You may ever, do y'all remember the, the play he wrote, Romeo and Juliet? Now, if you remember a line in that play, it's probably the only line that I remember. Uh, but he said, a rose by any other name, it would smell just as sweet. And what he's saying is, you can't put a whole lot of stock in just a name. <laughs> Amen? Jesus knew what was really going on in the church at Sardis, and he's about to deal with it. So that's the charge concerning the church. I want you to also notice the condition of the church. And Jesus gives us the real condition. How many know Jesus knows the condition of the church at Sardis? And he knows the condition of the church at Mount Zion. Now I hope and pray that he never says about Mount Zion what he says about Sardis. Look what he says in the last part of verse number one. He says, and thou hast a name that thou livest, but then he gives the real condition. He says, everybody, you got a good reputation, you're popular among the people, you got a good name among the people, but I want to tell you the true condition, and the true condition is, you are dead. Wow. I told you it was a serious problem. I mean, if Jesus says the church is spiritually dead, how many of you know the church is spiritually dead? And if there's one great problem that any church can have, it's that if they are spiritually dead, that's a big problem. 
It's a serious problem. I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers said concerning the church at Sardis. He said the organism had become an organization. The movement had become a monument. That's pretty good stuff. And that's exactly what had happened. It was no longer a, 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 a living body that was making a difference in its, in its community. It had become more like a business than anything else. And folks, that's sad when you have a church that's in that shape. <clears throat> Tonight, I want to talk to you about how you know a church is dead. Really, how you know that anything's dead. Three ways we can know that there's deadness in a church. First of all, there's an absence of spirit. Now, do you remember me telling you that death is all about separation? Physical death is separation of the spirit from the body. Now, what you see before you tonight is my house, my earthly dwelling place. Now, what you see before, that's really not Israel Price. That's just the house I live in. What really makes me who I am is my spirit, my soul within me. But how many of you know, when I die, my spirit departs from my body and I become lifeless. Well, the same thing happens with a dead church. A church dies when the Holy Spirit departs from the body of Christ. When there is no spirit at work in the church, there is no life in the church. When the spirit leaves, how many of you know the life leaves? The power of Mount Zion Baptist Church and of any church is the spirit of the living God. Can you say amen to that? So what do we need above everything else? We need the power of the Spirit of God to be at work in everything we do. Now praise God, we need it if we're going to see souls saved. We're needed if we're going to see families healed. We need it if we're going to see addictions broken, if we're going to see lives changed, if we're going to see anything happen that's worth happening, we need the power and the moving of the Spirit of God. Does it bother you that right now in America and across this world, we've got more churches than we've ever had before, but we're in the worst shape that we've ever been in? Folks, there's a problem with that. And I believe the problem is we've tried to do church without the Spirit of God. We've tried to do God's work without God's power. We've tried to live the life without the Spirit. And when the Spirit leaves, I'm telling you, the life leaves. And I think that's where a large majority of the church is today. I've heard it said that if the Holy Spirit were to die tomorrow. Now, how many of you know the Holy Spirit can't die tomorrow? The Holy Spirit, being God, is eternal. It can never die. He can never die. Excuse me. But I want you to know, just for argument's sake, if he was to die tomorrow, most churches would go on just like they've been going on for years upon years. And I believe that to be true. I heard a story one time about a little boy who got to come upstairs to big church for the first time with his father. He was five, six years old and 
uh, was able to come up from Children's Church and be in the regular service, and that church had a television ministry. And the television ministry, um, you know, you only have an allotted time that the church is, is going to be on for. And so what they would do, they put a light up in the back of the church. And as long as the pastor was preaching and he saw the green light, that means he could preach. And then the light would turn from green to amber. And when the light turned to amber, that means he has five minutes left. And then when the light turned to red, that means it was over. I mean, and whether he was still preaching or not, time was up. It was over. It was done. And so the little boy was sitting there watching that light. And he began asking his father what was going on with the light. And his dad told him, he said, well, uh, when the, when the uh, light is green, that means we've still got plenty of time. When the light turns amber, that means the pastor's almost done. But then when the, when the light it turns red, that means he's, he's finished. The, the sermon's over. And the little boy kept watching. He was waiting for that light to turn from green to amber. And boy, when the light turned from green to amber, he was excited because he knew his church was about done. And so he kept watching real intently. And five minutes later, after it turned from green to amber, it went from amber to red. And the little boy looked at his father and he said, uh, Father, brother so-and-so is done. He just don't know it yet. Because the pastor just kept on preaching. Some of y'all may have experienced that. A lot of times, brother, there's a lie to you three or four times. And I tell you, this is all I got. And I just keep going. But now, listen, I think that's the perfect picture of a lot of churches. Hey, they're done. They just don't know it yet. It's dead and it's lifeless because the Holy Spirit is not moving among the people. I don't know about you, but I long for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Folks, what we need above everything else is God the Holy Spirit at work in our midst, convicting the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls so that they might come to Jesus. Listen, dealing with the hearts and lives of the saved so that we might serve God with fervor, with excitement, with passion. That's what we need above everything else. I don't know about you, but that's what I pray for, that God has his way and will in absolutely everything that takes place right here. And I encourage you, do the same thing. Before you come, pray that God does what he wants to do. That's what we need. That's what we've got to have. The first sign of death is absence of the spirit. Number two, there's an annulment of feeling. Let me read to you something. When the spirit departs, the feeling departs. If the Holy Spirit of God is truly moving in his church, his body should be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I do too. Aren't you thankful that we feel the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our fellowship? How many of you want, to, want, want that to continue? Me too. Me too. I don't know about you folks, but I don't want to come to a service and it be dry and dead and lifeless and, and, and something that you have to endure instead of enjoy. Well, let me tell you how we have a service that we can enjoy and not endure. It's by the moving of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit departs, the feeling departs. 
I believe we ought to feel the Holy Spirit of God when we come to worship together. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. Now, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God is more than a feeling, but you can feel the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We must remember that. There's an annulment of feeling, but there's also a loss of strength. Dead things do nothing, for dead things can do nothing. Does that make sense to you? Without the Spirit of God moving in a church, we can never be effective as the people of God. We can go through the motions. I mean, we can pray the prayers. We can sing the songs. We can preach the sermons. We can get by in our ability. But we can never be effective. The power needed to do the work that God has set before us rightly only comes from the Holy Spirit. When a church is dead, there's a loss of power. It has no strength to be what God has called it to be, what God has saved it to be. We need the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst. I heard Brother Herb Rebus say something one time that really spoke to my heart. He was talking about a, um, the Holy Spirit of God working in a church and what that means and he told a story of a man who came in on a Sunday morning, sat down on the front pew of the church, and he had his uh, cowboy boots on, and his cowboy hat, and he had his, uh, his work clothes that he had been out in the pasture working uh, his horse, working on his horse, and he came into the church there and sat down on the front pew, and one of the ushers came up to him and he said, uh, Sir, I want you to go home today and pray about what God would have you wear to the church next Sunday. So the next Sunday, sure enough, the cowboy came walking in the back door and he had on his faded Wranglers and his cowboy hat and his denim shirt and he sat right back down in the front row and that same usher came over to him and he said, Sir, I thought I told you to go home and pray about what God would have you wear to the church. And he said, well, I did go home and pray about what God would have me wear to the church. And the usher said, well, what did the Lord say to you? He, he said, the Lord said he ain't been here in 15 years. He don't know what, to, what I'm supposed to wear. <laughs> now, folks, listen. I would hate for it to be said of Mount Zion that we're a dead church. The only way, the only way we can be what God wants us to be is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the condition of the church that were dead. They had a good name, they had a good reputation. But Jesus said, you're dead. It's kind of like what he said to the Pharisee when he said, you are a whitewashed tomb. You look real shiny on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. 
It's a dangerous thing. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah just a moment. Let's read something that God's Word tells us there. I think it describes perfectly a dead church. Isaiah 29, verse number 13, the Bible says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Now, let me ask you this, folks. What is the true test of whether or not you love Jesus? Is it what you say? I want you to know there's nothing wrong with you testifying of the love you have for the Lord. Matter of fact, you should do that. We should tell him we love him. Hey, we ought to tell others we love him. We ought to be ashamed of that. We ought to sing about it. We ought to testify about it. We ought to pray about it. All of that is fantastic. But I want to tell you something. If what you do don't match what you say, then what you said don't mean much. I am so thankful that we come together in here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and we sing these songs of worship. And how many of you know that's what they ought to be, songs of worship? Not just mouthing words or going through a ritual, but we ought to come with the purpose of worshiping the God who's worthy of worship. Amen. We want to do that. We're going to do that. Because He is truly worthy. But if what we do when we leave this place don't match what we've sung about while we're in here, does it really matter what we've sung about? That's the picture that's being painted right here in Isaiah 29, 13. The people, they honor the Lord with their lips, but what they're doing is not matching what they're saying. Their hearts are far from the Lord. Jesus said it like this, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I tell you to do. The true test of your love for Christ is not what you say, but what you do. It's not what I say, but what I do. That's how we know really where we are. It is possible, listen to me now, For us to say what we believe and not really believe it. It is impossible for us to believe something and not live like it. Does that make sense to you? It's possible for me to talk about how much I love the Lord, how much I want to follow Him. It's possible to say that and not really believe that. But if I really believe something, that's how I want to live. That's why I always say, if you really want to know what somebody believes, watch how they live. Watch the decisions and choices that they make. That's where the rubber meets the road. I fear that we live in a um, culture and society today where Everybody thinks it's as long as we can put up a, a good Facebook post with the right scripture in it that we're okay. I mean, I, I keep Facebook most of the time just so I can keep my blood pressure up. 
It's amazing to me. People will get on Facebook and, man, they'll preach a sermon by what they say. They'll put Bible verses, talk about how much they love Jesus, but they can't drag herself out of bed to get to church on Sunday morning. I ain't seen them in church in six months, but they all over Facebook talking about how they love Jesus. Something's wrong. Anything wrong with putting how much you love Jesus on Facebook? Absolutely not. But you ought to back it up with how you live. Amen. There ought to be a difference in what you do day by day. And if there's not, we've got a problem. I think that's the message that's being preached right here. They honor me with their lips. They want to make it look good and sound good. But it's not being backed up with their lives. He said, I really know where your heart's at. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Wow. The condition of the church at Sardis was that they were a dead church. That's my second point. My third point is the correction of this church. And let me tell you what I love about Jesus in every one of these letters. In every one of these letters that we've read so far and studied through, he always gives his people the opportunity to repent. He don't just tell them what they've done wrong. He tells them how they can get right. Look in Revelation chapter 3. He says in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. He said, look, look at the things which remain that I'm pleased with, that you know pleases me. Look at those things and do absolutely everything you can to strengthen that. We're going to find out in just a minute there was a remnant there at the church at Sardis that was still serving Jesus. And so whatever I think he was saying was, if you see somebody in the church that's living for me, that's still standing for truth and teaching truth, if you see somebody that's following hard after me, do what you can to strengthen that. Look. Find what's good and strengthen it. He says, they need to be strengthened for they're ready to die. Do you see that? Then he goes on and says this, For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now I want you to notice something. When he says perfect here, he's not, mean, he's not talking about sinless. Okay? When you see perfect in the New Testament and you see it many times, he's not talking about sinless. In um, the book of Hebrews, he talks about that we are made perfect in our relationship to God by the sacrifice of Jesus. Now when he says perfect, he's not talking about sinless. Because how many of you know, even since I've been saved, I'm certainly not sinless. I've still got problems with sin. He's not talking about um, sinless, he's talking about mature. He's saying, I've looked at the works of the church and you're not maturing in your faith. You're not following hard after the Lord and growing in the things of God. 
Folks, isn't it sad that there's a lot of people who's been in church for 50 years and still are babes in Christ? Have not grown in their faith, are not growing in their faith? Let me share something with you. Jesus did not save you to leave you like you are. He saved you and He saved me so that we might grow into being what He's called us to be. So that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Himself. Verse 3, he tells us to do two things. He says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. Remember how you heard the gospel, how you received the gospel, how you were changed by the gospel. Remember where you used to be. Remember now, he's talking to his church here. He's talking to people who's been born again. Hold fast. Then he says something else. Repent. Repent from what you know to be ungodly. How many know to repent means to do an about face? If I repent, I turn from the way I'm going, I go back the other way. And folks, that's what we must do as the people of God when the Holy Spirit begins convicting our heart. we got to repent. We turn from the way we're going. We turn back toward Him. Let me share this with you. This is the good news. We can be corrected. God wants to correct us. And He does it by His grace. And the same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you saved. Day by day. The same grace that was available to you when you first trusted in Jesus is available today. And we must repent, even as the people of God. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Verse 4, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. That means there were a, a, a few names, or a few people there in Sardis that were still living righteously. They were living righteous lives. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Worthy. Jesus is speaking of the righteousness of the saints there. Anytime you see uh, uh, something about the, the people of God being dressed in white, he's talking about the righteousness of God. He said there's a few people there in Sardis that are still living righteously, still doing what I've called them to do. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. There it is. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Let me tell you what I believe is still happening today. I believe that Jesus is looking at each and every one of his children and he is still confessing their name before his heavenly Father. He's confessing my name. If you're here tonight and you're a child of God, He's confessing your name. If you've been born again into God's family, He's confessing you before His heavenly Father. And that's a very, very powerful thing. Wow. Verse 6 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. The church at Sardis in that day was a very prominent and powerful church among the people. Very popular church among the people. But did you know that today 
You can't even find a remnant of the church at Sardis. It's like it completely vanished from the face of the earth. You want me to tell you why? Because there were some people there who had ears, but they wouldn't listen. They would not receive the correction of God. They would not remember where they came from and repent. And the church died. I'm going to tell you something. God wants to bless at Mount Zion Baptist Church. God has the power to bless at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I believe God wants to pour out His favor on Mount Zion Baptist Church. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God wants to use this church to impact this community. But if it's going to happen, it's got to be done by His power, through His Spirit. His Spirit is life. We need the power of God. I don't want to be a dead church. I don't want to be a part of a dead church. I want to be a part of a church alive with the presence of God. Amen. And so let's remember what Jesus said to the church at Sardis. If there's areas in which we need to repent, let's repent. If we need to be corrective, let's receive that corre corrected, let's receive that correction, and let's move on for the glory of God. Be what God's called us to be. That's all I've got. Before we close tonight, I want to um, remind all of our men that Sunday morning we will be having our brotherhood breakfast and Bible study. Ben, what time are we doing all that, brother? So we're going to meet and cook at six between 6 and 6.30 if you want to come help do that, and I hope you do. And um, does everybody know what they're bringing? 